many of you have probably seen the movie National Treasure by now. Honestly, it is one of my favorite movies, and um, if you haven't seen it, it's a great one. You can watch it. Uh, but at a very young age, Benjamin Franklin Gates um, is given the duty of continuing his family legacy in searching for what they call the most spectacular uh, treasure in all of history. And so Benjamin spends his entire life searching for this treasure, and uh, this treasure that a lot of people don't think that it even exists. And the ones that do kind of possibly think that it exists, they're not sure that it's there, and they're not sure that it's worth their time or their effort to, to go after it, because they're just not sure it's all there. But Benjamin, he is relentless in his search for this treasure, and he knows it exists, and he knows that when he puts in the effort, he's going to get the prize. And so Benjamin travels the country. At one point, he's uh, at a shipwreck in the Arctic uh, Circle, and then he's having to steal the Declaration of Independence and all these different uh, things that he's having to do and together these clues to get um, to this treasure that he's seeking and all these adventures and all these chasing the clues and all this while trying to avoid being captured by the FBI because you don't just steal the Declaration of Independence without people coming after you um, and someone else actually thinks the treasure exists and they're coming after him too. So um, at any point during that movie, Benjamin could have walked away. Uh, at any point in his life, he could have just stopped this hunt and he could have just said, you know what, I'm just going to be a history professor. I'm just going to teach history because he knows a ton about history and, and, and culture and stuff like that. He could have just walked away from all of it. But he doesn't. He spends this entire life chasing after this thing. And the reason he doesn't give up at any point, the reason he continues, is for two reasons. One, he honestly believes that the treasure is real. All right? So you've got to believe, if you're going to go on a treasure hunt, you don't go on a treasure hunt unless you believe the treasure is actually there somewhere and that it's real. The other thing that he believes is that when he finds the treasure, it's going to be worth it in the end. That everything, all the blood, sweat, and tears he puts into it, they're going to be worth it when he stands up and he sees this treasure at the end. See, you don't hunt for treasure if you don't believe it's real, and you don't hunt for treasure if you don't think it's going to be worth it. And so this morning, um, I'm sorry, if you've seen the movie, um, you know that when he finds it, man, it is all that he thought it was. In fact, it goes well beyond uh, what he even imagined. The treasure contains thousands of years of history, and the treasure is so great, is this what he said, the treasure is so great, it's too great for one person or one family to own or possess. And so what he does, one, really to avoid jail, he, he really uh, does this to stay out of jail. He says that he just wants 1% of it. All right, he just wants 1% of the treasure. The rest of the treasure, he wants divided up amongst the people. He wants to send some to the museum in France. He wants to send some to the Smithsonian. So he wants to give it to the people. He wants to spread it out amongst all these museums so that the people of the world can see it. All right? And he's going to settle for this 1% of it. And the unfortunate thing is that thousands of people are going to go visit the museum and they're going to see the treasure. But the truth is they're only going to see part of the treasure. Because part of the treasure is here, and part of the treasure is there, and part of the treasure is spread out all over the world. And so for many people, they're going to walk up, and they're going to see this impressive treasure at this museum. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe somebody found all this stuff. And even sadder is the fact that they're going to think that's all there is to it. And they're not going to realize there's so much more to the treasure. In fact, the only people that are really going to appreciate the full, vast uh, value of the treasure are the ones who know about it and the ones who spent the time seeking after it and the ones who have seen it in all its entirety. But i got to tell you, that's not just true of the treasure and national treasure. That's true of the wisdom that we have in the book of Proverbs. It's true of the Bible. There are so many people. In fact, some of us may be sitting in this room. Some of us may be watching online. There's so many of us that we just settle for a museum view of it. 
We just come and we just settle for what somebody else puts out on display. And then we walk away and we're like, wow, that was pretty amazing. That was pretty awesome. And we don't realize that there's so much more to the treasure than what was just on display. There's so much more to what we have in this book than what we just see in front of our eyes. In fact, the only people that are ever going to really appreciate the treasure of the book of Proverbs and the treasure of this book in general are the people who are willing to put in the effort, the people who are willing to dig it out for themselves, the people who go on the treasure hunt for wisdom themselves. And so this morning... I want to invite you on this treasure hunt with me of wisdom. And I want us to not be satisfied with this museum view of treasure or or wisdom anymore. You see, Proverbs 2 is going to give us all the clues we need to find the treasure. And then it's going to show us how great this treasure is. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, we're going to cover all of Proverbs chapter 2 today. uh, But we're not going to read it all. We're only going to read the first 12 verses. Then we're going to skip down to verse 21 and 22. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs 2, and let's uh, look at this treasure hunt, let's get the clues, and let's see the treasure that awaits us if we will follow these clues. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, he starts off and he says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding, furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity, so that he may guard the paths of justice and protect the ways or protect the way of his loyal followers. In verse 9, then you will understand righteousness, justice, and integrity, every good path. For wisdom will enter your mind, and knowledge will delight your heart. Discretion will watch over you, and understanding will guard you, rescuing you from the ways of evil and from the one who says perverse things. Skip it down to verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21 says, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those of integrity will remain in it. But... The wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous uprooted from it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much, uh, God, that we can claim to be a child of yours. God, that through your son and his death on the cross, God, that you have paved a way for us to come to you. And and so, God, I'm gathered here today with many sons and daughters of the one true king. God, that we are a child of God. And so, God, I pray this morning that we will find ourselves listening to the words that you have put in front of us. God, that we won't just listen with our ears, but, God, we will involve our whole heart and our whole being, God. And so, God, I pray this morning that the words we hear from your scriptures, from your lips, God, they aren't just words that fly around and and maybe pass through our ears. God, I'm praying that these are words that will transform our lives. God, I'm praying that when we leave here today, we leave here different. We leave here on this continual quest for knowledge. We leave here continually seeking after the treasure that you have put right in front of us. God, let us not be satisfied any longer with just the museum pictures and the museum view and thinking we've seen all that there is. God, because your word is so much deeper than what we can put on display for this morning. And so, God, I pray this morning that above all else, we are challenged to know you more. I pray that we are challenged this morning to walk a path that is directed by you. And God, I pray this morning that we are challenged to find an eternity that is safely and securely where you want us to be, Father. And God, it starts with our search for knowledge. 
And so, God, I pray that we are ready. I pray that we are attentive and we are ready to listen to the wisdom that you have for us this morning. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In January of last year, William Harrison uh, wrote an article um, in a magazine called Entrepreneur Leadership uh, Network. And I've never read that magazine. I just ran across this article, just to be honest with you. And the title of the article caught my attention. It says, Quit Doing the Bare Minimum. And this is how he starts the article. I want to read it to you. He says, You won't, or excuse me, you wouldn't want your mechanic doing the bare minimum required to make your family car safe to drive. You wouldn't want your surgeon doing the bare minimum needed to keep your heart pumping. And you wouldn't want your chef at your favorite restaurant doing the bare minimum to ensure that the food you're eating is safe to consume. He says, when we look at things, we really do expect people to go above and beyond. We really do expect other people to go beyond just the bare minimum, that we want people to go the extra mile for us. In fact, we expect people to go the extra mile. We don't expect just the bare minimum out of them. We don't expect a surgeon just to do the bare minimum or a nurse just to do what she has to do. We want them to do better. We want to know that people care about us, and we also want people to know, or, or we, want, we want to know that people care about their craft or their skill or whatever job they're in. We want to know that they care about those things enough they're going to put more than just the bare minimum effort in. We want them to know, or we want to know, that they, they're ready to do the extra work. And so he says in this article that while we expect that from other people, we very rarely expect that from ourselves. And I read that and I thought, you, you know, he's probably on to something. And he says that, that we expect all these other people to go above and beyond, to, to love and have compassion and, and really pour themselves into their work. He says, but so often we don't expect that of ourselves. And he says he finds this troubling trend in the workplace, in the work environment, that it, there's this disconnect between the reward that's expected and the effort or work that it takes to achieve the reward. And he writes this in his article. He says, too many people believe that they should be lavishly rewarded simply for putting in the effort. Any amount of effort. Even the bare minimum amount of effort. He says people will launch a startup and within weeks they expect hundreds of paying customers. People will quit eating bread and they'll expect to be an overnight Instagram fitness model. In fact, he writes this article. In fact, he says that if you think I'm exaggerating, I'm writing this whole article to you because an employee asked if he could get a raise if he started showing up for work on time. Not to do any more work, just if I start showing up on time, can I get a raise? And Harrison says that something Somehow, we've convinced ourselves that we can have all the reward and none of the work. Or at best, that we can expect the greatest reward for the bare minimum worth of work and effort. So the whole premise of his article is simply this. This is a toxic way to approach life and work. Simply put, that we need to expect the reward only if we're willing to do the work. And if we expect a greater reward, we've got to be willing to do more of the work and put in greater effort than what we are doing. We've got to go beyond the bare minimum that we're doing. So when we open God's Word, when we open up to Proverbs chapter 2, which is where we read from earlier, Solomon is very clear that wisdom comes with some great rewards. There is a treasure that we can value. There's some great benefits of wisdom uh, that we can enjoy that. We can enjoy the rewards, but... We've got to be willing to do the work first. In fact, in the first four verses, the key word is simply two letters. It is if. 
He uses that same word three different times, three different conditional statements. If you're going to get to the reward, then you've got to start here. If you think you're going to get to the treasure room of the national treasure, you've got to do these things first. And so these conditional clauses that if you're expecting the reward, you've got to start here. You've got to find and enjoy the treasure, but only if you're willing to do and follow these clues. And the very first clue that Solomon gives us is that we've got to be willing to listen. But when he talks about wisdom, and when he talks about listening to wisdom, i got to understand, he's not talking about the type of listening that many of us do on a Sunday morning or um, even driving down the road. He's not talking about this passive act where we just kind of sit and, and words are flying around and we might catch them here and there. Or He's not even talking about this type of listening where we're listening and it goes one ear and comes out the other. Right? That's not the type of listening that he's talking about. He's talking about a very active type of listening, a type of listening that involves you and involves kind of what's going on. You see, there's a difference between passive hearing something and listening to something and actively listening to something. When I passively hear something, I, I just hear it. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't, it doesn't make me respond, okay? So let me give you this example. When I sit in my house at night, I can hear the train go through Cleveland, all right? I hear the rumbling, I hear the whistle. It doesn't make me do anything. Okay? Now, I'm not sitting on the train tracks. If I was sitting on the train tracks, I'd be worried. When I heard the rumbling, I'd get up and I would move. Okay? But I know I'm not. Right? So I don't have to listen for it. I, I'm not like intently trying to figure out. Now, some folks are train fanatics, and they're like, yeah, that's this type of engine. It's got the, not, not me. I just hear it. It's just background noise, okay? And so when uh, Solomon is writing this, he's saying, listen, you need to listen to this actively. Don't let this just be background noise and all these other voices that you're hearing. Don't listen like you do to the radio where it's just noise in a car and you can do with it or without it. Don't do that. You need to be active in listening to what I'm telling you. And so he kind of demonstrates this, this active uh, listening in really three different ways. The first one we see at the very beginning of verse 1, he describes this listening as something active. He says in verse 1, he says, My son, if you accept my words, the word accept or receive, as some translation have there, it, it literally means to reach out and take hold of something. Right? So I want you to, to picture with me several weeks back when we were exchanging Christmas presents and uh, someone was going to give you a Christmas present. Right? So when they were going to give you a Christmas present, they didn't just leave it on the doorstep. Well, maybe they did because it's quarantine and all that crazy stuff that was going on. But think of any other normal year when you exchange Christmas presents. Okay? And if somebody was going to give you a gift, they literally had it in their hands and they extended it out to you. Right? We kind of talked about that a couple weeks ago, about God extending stuff to us. Okay? And then while they extended that out to you, you have a choice. Right? You either accept it or you don't accept it. Okay? So for you to accept it means you have to reach out and take hold of it. Or you have the choice of not accepting it, which just leaves the person kind of standing there awkwardly like, what am I going to do now? All right? But the, the real choice is not so much in the giver as much as the receiver. Is You've got a choice whether you're going to reach out and you're going to take hold of that gift and you're going to pull it back into you or you're not. Okay? That's the word that he's using to describe this listening. So all of us have this choice. We all have the words that are out there. God's word is going to go out. It's right here in front of you. Some of you are holding your lap. Some of you got it on your phone. Some of you got it all different places. God is extending the words of wisdom. The real question is, are you going to reach out and take hold of them or are you not? Are you going to stand there and let him just keep holding this wisdom and waiting maybe someday possibly you'll take hold of it? Or are you going to accept it? Are you going to reach out and you're going to grab hold of it and you're going to say, there's something of value here. You see, you don't reach out and grab stuff that's not valuable. If I handed you a bag of trash, 
you're not going to reach out and grab that. You're not going to accept that, right? Because there's nothing of value there. But if there's something valuable, even if it's a shiny box with a shiny bow on it, you're like, there's something here. I want this. And so all of a sudden, you're enticed to reach out and grab it. And that's what he says we need to be doing. That's what the listening part of this is. The words are out there. The words are printed on the page. The words are coming right now. The question is, are you going to receive them or are you not? Are you going to reach out and grab them? Or are you just going to let them drop to the floor like a piece of trash? That's active listening. It's not just sitting there and being like, oh yeah, I just showed up at church today. Check, mark that off my list. No, did you actively accept, did you actively receive what God has for you? But then he takes it a step further than, than just standing there. Because if you receive a gift, so think back to receiving a gift and kind of have this picture in mind. If somebody gives you a gift and now all of a sudden I've given the gift and you're holding the gift, you don't just stand there with it, right? Like you're not going to stand there for the next two hours or three hours or ten hours just holding that gift. Most of us, when we have a gift, we open it up and then we take it home with us or we take it in our house and it becomes part of our collection. If somebody gave you a Christmas decoration, it becomes part of your decorational collection. All right? You don't just hold on to it. You don't just drop it. You take it in and you store it in your house somewhere. That's the second part of the act of listening that Proverbs is talking about here. And he says this in verse 2. He says, you put the effort, you've got it, you've taken hold of it, now take it inside and do something with it. And in, the, in, verse, in the last part of verse 1, we'll read the whole thing for context. He says, My son, if you accept my word, and pay attention to this part, and store up my commands within you. See, Solomon's telling us you don't just receive the word and the wisdom. You store them up inside. You take it to heart and you really commit it to memory. He's really telling us to achieve this full reward of wisdom. You've got to be willing to do more than just hear it. You've got to be willing to take it in. You really have to be willing to memorize it. And it's the exact same thing that David writes in Psalms 119, verse 11, when he says, I have treasured, which is the same word, I have treasured, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. If you've got kids in Awana, that's one of the verses. I grew up in an old-time era school when we had RAs, right? And that was one of our key verses right there, right? Now, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against God. We had to memorize that. We had to do that all the time over and over and over and over again. We had to memorize that. And I am so thankful that we have those programs. I'm so thankful that we have Awanas for our kids. And I'm so thankful and so glad that every week, week after week after week, my kids and several other kids in this building and several other kids watching online, they're challenged to do exactly what this verse says. They're challenged to, to intake God's Word, to store it up in their heart, to memorize Scripture. They're challenged to treasure up the wisdom of God in their hearts. You know my only regret? is that we stop doing it. You see, we graduate from Awana and then we stop. We spend so much time, we, we spend time with our kids working on these verses and our kids do a great job of memorizing all these verses, silver and gold and all these other rewards they get. And then for some reason, for us as adults, we don't get stickers and we don't get stars, so we stop doing it. And the most tragic thing that I think about being an adult ministry is that we don't see the value in ministry and we don't see the value in Scripture that we saw when they, we were kids. That it was so important for our kids to memorize and yet we don't do it ourselves. It's so important that we will spend time with our kids memorizing Scripture that we'll make sure they're here on Wednesdays. We'll make sure they're here on Sunday morning because we want them to do what it says to store up wisdom and yet we don't do it ourselves. It's the most tragic thing when we think we've got enough Jesus in our lives. When we think we've got enough words of wisdom in our life that we can just stop 
memorizing. So I want to ask you this question. When was the last time that you stored up God's Word in your heart? When was the last time that you actually challenged yourself to memorize part of God's Word? Because i got to be honest with you, we live in a time, the reason we don't do it is because we live in a time that the Bible is more accessible than it's ever been. Right? Way more accessible than it was in Solomon's day. There are Bibles everywhere. Right? And if you don't have a Bible, let me know. I've got like 30 of them in my office. I'll be glad to get, I'll give you a signed copy of it. I'm just kidding. I won't. I won't give you a signed copy. But there, there's tons of They're everywhere. And then if you pull out your phone, there's like 25,000 apps that you can download. And there's websites. We've got it everywhere. But i got to tell you this. The quickest way the enemy is going to bring an attack to you is to separate you from the Word of God. And let's be honest, when the enemy attacks you, when he blindsides you, your first instinct is not to reach for the Word of God. It's not, because he's already cut off that line of communication. Your first instinct usually is not to reach for a physical Bible. It's not even to pull out your phone. Maybe it is to pull out your phone, but you're not going to your Bible app. You're going to Facebook or Instagram or some other place where you can get the words of wisdom from. You know the only weapon you're going to have in the midst of the attack is the words that you have hidden and stored up in your heart because the enemy's made sure that he's cut off all the other communication, all the other lines that are out there. The only thing you have is what you've internalized inside of you. My grandmother used to tell me all the time, and I love her for work, that the thing you need to do the most is learn as much as you can as quick as you can. That's what my grandma always said. Learn as much as you can, as quick as you can. Because what you know is the one thing that nobody can take away from you. Think about it. They can take away your house. They can take away your car. They can take away your job. They can take, your, your, they can take away everything from you. The one thing they can't take away from you is what you have internalized and what you've memorized and what you have on the inside. They can't take that from you. Nobody can. The enemy cannot take that from you. And so this act of listening leads to this memorization of Scripture that if we're going to expect this reward, this is what we're going to have to do. But he's not finished with this idea of active listening yet because he goes on to say that if we're going to actively listen, we've we got to take it a step further. We've got to allow it to, to control who we are. In verse 2, he takes it a step further and he says we've got to listen to it. We've we got to store it up. In verse 2, he says, listening closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. This word directing there means, uh, it can be translated, turn your heart towards understanding. This indicates a change of direction. That Literally, you're facing one way, and then because of wisdom, you've heard it call out, and you turn and face a different direction. That, that now, there, there's not just internal action, now there's external action of what you've heard. So what he's really saying is, listen, you need to listen to God's Word, you need to, to pay attention to it, you need to store it up, and then you need to allow it to change your direction. Physically, mentally, morally, there's a difference in your life because what you have heard. You see, so often we come into church, we sit down in church, maybe we even sit down with God's Word, we're going to read our devotion, maybe you've been doing the Proverbs Challenge, and because it's a challenge, we're going to check our list off and check we mark it off, and it doesn't make any difference in our life. And my guess is that if you haven't made a difference in your life, if you've been reading the Bible through for two years and it hasn't changed your thoughts about God or the way you behave, then maybe you're not really reading the Word of God. Maybe you're just letting it fly around in words and you're not receiving it or storing it up. Maybe it's not changing your life because you aren't taking it in. Maybe you're not actively listening to it. You see, there should be a change within the way you think, within the way you behave. When you actively listen to the Word of God, we should expect it to turn us from one way to another. This is what Paul writes about when he writes Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this is why I love the book of Proverbs because it goes from the Old Testament to the New Testament and just back and forth all the time. But Romans chapter 12 Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed by this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You see, our active listening causes us to be transformed from the inside out. And so now, this becomes our life's desire. This is what we want. This is where we are headed in the direction that we want to go. And we may have been going in a different direction, but because we listened to the Word of God, because we stored it up in our mind, now it's turned, and now this is where we are headed. And so once we start with that desire in our heart, we start to yearn for it. We start to want it more and more every day. You see, when we come to this point of Scripture, it's not checking off a list. So many of you want to read through the Bible in a year, and that's great. Do it. But it becomes a checklist for us. Many of us come to church, and there's this checklist. Yep, check, did church this week, and we're done for it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you want the Word of God. You desire the Word of God. In fact, you yearn for it so much that you're willing to call out for it. That's what he says in verse 3. In verse 3, he gives us the second if, the second conditional clause here, the, the second clue, the treasure. He says in verse 3, furthermore, so beyond just listening to the words, furthermore, if you call out for insight and lift your voice for understanding... And many of you know that before I got in full-time ministry that I was a teacher. And I love teaching. I taught chemistry and science, and I love it. But i got to tell you, one of the most frustrating parts of being a teacher was when you explain something to students, and then, you, then they don't understand it. Okay? And I understand that chemistry is not for everybody. It's hard. But my problem wasn't that they didn't understand it. My problem was that they didn't ask questions about it. Or they, they refuse to ask or they refuse to acknowledge that they don't understand. And so typically what we would do in class, I'd ask them to read over a certain passage of the text in their book, or, and they'd read over it, and then I'd say, all right, let's work this problem together. And so I'd turn to the board, or I'd have my, back in the old school days, I, believe it or not, I taught when we had overhead projectors. Y'all don't even know what those are anymore, okay? But they left that nice little, you know, like your skin was a different color for like three days, all right? You guys, anyway. Um, so that's, we would work this problem. And so almost after every problem, I would say, all right, everybody got it. Everybody see how we work that problem out. Are there any questions about that problem? And they sit there. Nope. No questions whatsoever. Awesome. I can tell by the wheels not working in your head that some of you are not getting this. Okay, I can tell by the blank stairs that some of you are not getting this, but you're not going to ask questions, and so you're not going to tell me you don't know, so we're gonna, let's do a couple more questions, just so I feel comfortable with this. And so we would. I'd give them a few more examples. We'd do a couple more questions, and we'd finish that extra set of questions, and I'd ask that same question again. All right, everybody got it? And some of them nod their head. Some of them just blankly stare at you. And some of them are looking over here, and you're like, dude, hey, over here. Anyway. Everybody got it? Everybody understand? Everybody clear on how we did this, how we got from here to here? Yes. All right, good. So everybody's good. Here's what I want you to do. Clear your desk off. Just for fun, we're going to have a quiz. Just because I want to make sure that you got I think you got this. You told me you did. You ain't got no questions. So just for the fun of we're going to have a quiz. So, so take everything off your desk, get out a sheet of paper, and we're going to start with number one. Ready? I'm going to tell you the Whoa, whoa, Mr. Rex, I got a question. Like, all of a sudden, everybody's crying out for knowledge. All of a sudden, it's panic mode, and everybody's got questions. I don't know where you got that number from. I don't understand how you got from this step to that step. And all of a sudden, people start to, in chaos, they start to call out for wisdom. They start to ask these questions that they had at the very beginning, or either they didn't see value in asking questions. But when the pressure's on, then we start asking questions. Then we start calling out for wisdom. Then we start wanting the wisdom that, that was there to begin with. But why do we wait until the pressure's on? You see, the, the sad thing is I found that do, between youth ministry and adult ministry, the only difference is the, the amount of years that we should have known better. Because I find over and over again that we as adults, we make that same mistake. 
That, that we don't call out for wisdom, we don't seek after wisdom, and then all of a sudden, something happens, something in your life just, bam, blindsides you, and you find yourself in the midst of a quiz or in the pressure of a test, you find yourself in the midst of chaos, and you're calling out like, whoa, 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 whoa God, I wasn't ready for this. God, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I don't know. By the way, just side note, the reason that people don't share their faith is that's the number one reason they, they're afraid they don't know the answer to the question. Guess what? You're never going to know the answer to the question if you don't search for the answer yourself. Right? You can't keep using the same excuse if you know that's the question that's coming up. All right? So we'll get to that later. But anyway, so people, I want you to understand this. You're in the midst of this chaos, and I hear it all the time. I get phone calls from folks and be like, listen, can I speak with you? Yes, absolutely, I'd love to talk with you. And so they begin to come to my office, and they lay out their, their, their 30 minutes worth of problems, and it's not, I don't mind listening to those problems. And, and they begin like, well, I just don't find God in any of this. I, I don't know what to do, this situation. I don't know how to encounter any of this. And, and I feel like God's just so distant in this. you know why God may be distant in your chaos? Because all the other time when you weren't in chaos, guess what you told him? I don't need you. I don't want you. You see, we seek God in the midst of chaos, and we think that he owes us this immediate response in the midst of our chaos, when all the other time we weren't calling out for him, we were turning our back on him. All the other time we weren't yearning for him. We had all these questions, but we weren't asking them. We weren't seeking his direction. We weren't seeking his wisdom. And all of a sudden we find ourselves in the midst of this confusion and chaos. And we're like, whoa! Now I want to come after your questions. Now I want to come after... God, show me now the wisdom. And the truth is, if we listen to the wisdom that was in front of us in the first place, we may not be in the chaos that we were in right now. I hear it over and over and over again. And I go back to those times that I was teaching, and all those times that, that I said, all right, now let's have a quiz. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, maybe we should be yearning and calling out for wisdom now. While the time is peaceful. Maybe you should be calling out for wisdom for your marriage before your marriage is in trouble. Maybe you should be calling out for wisdom on how to raise your kids before they become teenagers. Maybe you should be calling out for wisdom how to train your kids and raise your kids long before you even have kids. For you guys that are young and you're thinking, maybe I should get married or someday down the road, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now when my kids talk about getting married, maybe they should be crying out for that wisdom now. Maybe they should be asking those kind of questions now. And listen, we shouldn't expect God to be at our beck and call in the midst of our chaos when we've turned our back on Him all the other times. See, Peter tells us what this looks like to yearn after wisdom. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, We should be, he said, like newborn infants, desiring the pure and spiritual milk, so that you may grow by, by it for your salvation. I don't know about you, but I remember the longest minutes of my life was when I had a newborn baby. All three of them, all right? The longest minutes of my life, and almost any mother or father will tell you the longest minutes of their life are in between the initial crying that the baby is hungry and the five to seven minutes it takes for that bottle to warm up to be ready. It is the longest time of your life. Why? Because the baby is letting you know 
that he is hungry or she is hungry. The baby is letting you know they are desiring something that you have. They really want what you have. They are, they are screaming. They are crying. And you're doing everything you can to speed that along. Man, you're checking that thing every minute. Like you're over there shaking it, trying to get it. Like you're doing everything you can because that baby is crying out. That baby is doing exactly what God's telling us to do for wisdom. He is yearning for it. He's desiring it. He wants it so bad that he's crying and he's screaming. He's desperate for the nourishment that you have. You see, that's what we should be. We should be desperately crying out for the nourishment, for the spiritual nourishment that God alone can give us. We should be desperately crying out for all those things that, that we know we need and all those things that we want and all those things that we desire. We should be doing it now. You see, verse 3 should be a daily practice for all of us. Daily, we should be calling out for insight. Daily, we should be lifting our voice for understanding. We should be yearning after it like a newborn baby crying out for the substance and the nourishment that he needs because that's what we know will keep us alive. This should be the words of our heart and the words of our tongue every single time that we pray. God, give us wisdom. God, give us understanding. And when it becomes the desire of our hearts, you're going to find this last part that you're going to be seeking after. You see, that's the final clue that we need for the treasure hunt, that, that we have to be willing to seek after. We have to be willing not just to listen to it, not just yearn after it, but we have to be willing to go after and to seek after it for ourselves. This is the verse 4, the final if, the final conditional clause. He says if we're going to seek wisdom, if we're going to have wisdom in verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never walked out of side of my yard and found silver laying on the ground. I've never walked out of side of my house and saw just a treasure chest laying there. i got another news for you. I've never walked in this building, and I've been in this building lots of times, okay? I've never walked in this building, and there's a piece of silver or there's a treasure chest. I take that back. There have been treasure chests here, but it's part of vacation Bible school, right? So I've never walked in and found something of immense value just laying in the middle of the floor. I've never done that. Do you know where those things are at? They're hidden, hence the hidden treasure. You don't just walk out and find silver. You've got to search for it. You've got to be willing to dig for it. You've got to be willing to get your hands dirty. You've got to be willing to break a sweat. And you've got to say, what I'm going after is worth every bit of sweat that I'm putting into it. But I'm going to go after it because when I get it, it's going to be so worth it. And, and you don't just get silver. You don't just get hidden treasure because you stumbled upon it. Man, you've got to be willing to search for it. You've got to be willing to go after it. And he says, that's what you've got to be doing for wisdom. You can't just come into church on a Sunday morning and expect that, bam, you walk out of here, you're a biblical genius, and you've got everything you need. You don't need any more. So come back next week and we'll finish up. It doesn't work that way. He says, if you're going to have wisdom, you've got to search for it like silver. You've got to go after it like tr hidden treasure. Now, I don't own any silver in my life. I don't think I've ever owned any silver. But I can guarantee you this. If I had silver and I lost silver, I would lose sleep until I found silver. Most of you would probably agree with that, right? If you had a treasure and you lost that treasure, you would lose sleep. You would miss work. You'd be willing to do anything and everything to get that treasure back, right? But can I share with you, we stand on the immense Word of God, the greatest, most spectacular treasure of all of history. And what do we do with it? We put it on our shelf and we pick it up Sunday morning and we put it back Sunday afternoon. And we don't search it. We don't dig for it. We just wait for the museum view. We just wait for the preacher to tell us what we need to know. We just wait for the preacher to show up and tell us the words and put on a good display. 
man, I got to tell you, you're never going to get the full wisdom of this book unless you're willing to search for it yourself. Warren Wearsby put it this way. He says that obtaining spiritual wisdom isn't a once-a-week hobby. It is a daily discipline of a lifetime. But in this age of microwave ovens, fast foods, digests, and numerous made, or numerous made easy books, everyone is out of the habit of daily investing time and energy into digging deep into Scripture and learning the wisdom from God. Thanks to Christian entertainment, which we often pass over as worship, these spiritual appetites are feeble, and our spiritual knowledge is not even pleasing to our soul. He goes on to say that there's no wonder that so many of our people fall prey to the enemy that lurks along the way. It's because we didn't know the value of digging the gold for ourselves. We just settled for a display of what happened on a stage on a Sunday morning. You see, you're never going to find the full value. You're never going to find the full benefit of wisdom if you rely on somebody else to do all the digging. You're never going to fully appreciate the treasure of God's Word unless you get in this book and you dig for yourself, unless you seek after wisdom of this book, unless you're willing to search for it like the treasure that it is. The full reward of this wisdom is not going to come from you being in church on Sunday morning. i got news for you. It's not even going to come from you being in, pro- in the Gospel Project on Sunday morning. You think, oh, I've done extra work. No, you've done the bare minimum is what you've done. Dig into the Word because there is silver here. Dig into God's Word because there is a treasure here far beyond anything that you can imagine. You see, the wisdom that comes with this great reward, it is here. And is far better than you can ever imagine. One of my favorite parts of the movie National Treasure that we started with, this whole thing, is when they get to the treasure room. And they walk into this room and they're holding, there's four of them, they're holding three torches, and they can see just a little bit. Of it, They can see just a little bit of the treasure that's right in front of them. And man, they are so excited with just that little bit. They're so pumped up about just that little bit. One of them goes over and she sees some scrolls and she's like, oh, this is great. And the other, Riley, the guy cracks me up. He, he sees this uh, mummy or uh, the coffin of a mummy. And he's like, hey, big green guy with a weird goatee. And then he gives it a hug. Like he's so excited that this is the treasure But then all of a sudden, Nicolas Cage or Benjamin Gates in the movie, he takes his torch and he lights what looks like kind of this lamp post looking thing, like this this light that's going to. And when he lights that, light doesn't just come from the top of it, it kind of shoots down from the bottom of it and goes down this little pathway down the stairs. And all of a sudden, it branches into different pathways and then it reveals a little more of the treasure. And the fire continues and a little more and a little more and a little more. You see, they were so satisfied with just what they saw right in front of them. And so many of us are so satisfied with that little bitty view of Jesus, that little bitty view of God. But if we'll work and if we'll dig and if we'll search like you were looking for a treasure, then we get to light that lamp and we get to light that pathway. And all of a sudden, God's Word starts to reveal so much more than we can ever imagine. You see, when they light that lamp and it starts to spread down, you see all four of them, they're just standing there speechless because this massive room is filled with treasure far beyond anything they could ever imagine. You see, I'm sharing that story with you because that's exactly what Solomon does with the rest of this chapter. And we're just going to speed through it really quick. He shows us piece by piece by piece this beautiful treasure that's far greater than we can ever imagine. And this is the reward that we can seek after. This is the beautiful picture that's revealed to us in the moments that we do all this effort. 
And the moments we realize it's worth all the effort. And the very first reward that we see, the first part that we revealed, is that, that if we'll seek after wisdom, you get a better relationship with God. You see the, the conditional if clauses in verses 1 through 4, they're replaced with the word then. This is the, the resulting part of it in verse 5. Right? In verse 5, he says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. So if you listen, if you yearn, if you seek wisdom, you're going to discover the very source of it all. If you dis- and when you discover it, you're going to understand the fear of the Lord, which takes us back to chapter 1, verse 7. This is the beginning of knowledge. You see, the right relationship with God, it's the starting point of all wisdom. It's the starting point of all knowledge. It's the starting point of understanding everything else. This is the most crucial part of it all. And he says that if we'll search for it, then we'll be pointed straight back to the source. We'll be pointed straight back to the guy that started it all together. You see, there's a difference between buying firsthand and buying secondhand. We, um, my, my kids got to go with me a couple weeks ago. We went to Goodwill and we bought some things at Goodwill to, for different stuff. And um, We started looking through Goodwill and, and there's some stuff in Goodwill that's good. There's stuff in Goodwill that's kind of broken. We, we bought some puzzles and things like that. And, and then we started to realize that these puzzle pieces, these puzzles may not be so great because when we took them all out of the bag, there were all these extra pieces in the bag. And we're like, well, these came out of some puzzle. We don't know which puzzle they come out of, and there's no way that I'm going to put these puzzles together to figure out because I don't have 30 hours to do that, all right? So we, we found out there's a difference when you buy something firsthand and you buy something secondhand. You see, there's a difference in knowing everything is there and everything is supposed to be. That's buying firsthand. When you go to, to Walmart or Target and you buy a puzzle, that box is sealed. You know everything is there. You see, you get it firsthand. You're the very source of it. And then you get to pass it off to somebody else. Pieces missing. They put all it together. They get like 999 pieces and they're missing that one. It's probably in a bag in my office somewhere, okay? Just to be honest with you. So what he's telling you is that, listen, you get firsthand knowledge. When you dig for God's wisdom yourself, you get it firsthand. You don't get the secondhand knowledge. You don't get the, the fact that the preacher stands up here and tells you all this, but he left out this part and he left out that part. And by the way, there was a whole treasure that he didn't even dig for over here. You do it yourself, and then you get the reward for it. You get to discover God for yourself. You get to discover the heights and depths and breadth of his love. You get to discover it all for yourself because in verse 6 he says the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding you see the greatest reward for seeking wisdom is the greatest desire is to know him more see the more you learn about him the more you want to learn about him the more you spend time with him the more you want to spend time with him you know, I had a seminary professor and that's the one thing he said that I remember over and over again the more I know about God is the more I want to know him And the more I want to know Him is the more that drives me to know Him more. And the more I learn about Him is the more I want to know about Him even deeper. You see, this is the circle and the cycle that we find ourselves. If we will search, if we will call out, if we will give our attention to the Word of God, then it will cause us to fall deeper in love with Him. And it will cause us to fall deeper in love with Him. And the more that we get of Him, the more we want of Him. The greatest reward that you're ever going to have in the search for wisdom is you're going to have a better relationship with the one who started wisdom in the first place. And from there, he's able to protect you with the wisdom that he gives. That's the second reward that we see. And in verse 7, Solomon draws this parallel back to verse 1. It's kind of awesome how he does this. In verse 1, it says that if we store it up, all right, if we store up the wisdom, if we store up his words, then in verse 7, I want you to see what he says. And we store it up. Then in verse 7, he stores up 
success for the upright. Now, success doesn't mean money. It doesn't mean wealth. It means he stores up sound wisdom, practical, efficient wisdom for us. And so he goes on in verse 7 that he stores up success for the upright. He is a shield for those who live with integrity. Right? Now, let me give you a better way to, to understand this shield because we don't have shields. We don't, um, we don't have shields. that We don't fight with shields anymore. So another way that that's interpreted is an armored bunker. Right? Now, some of you can picture that a little better. Right? So think of your doomsday prophecies. This is your armored bunker. Even better, think of a fortified, uh, uh, fortified fort, a fortified place where you could go and, and, and they've got on, armed guards there. This is a place of protection. This is a place where you could go and you are safe when you're there. You're safe because you listened to him. You're safe because you sought after him. You're safe because you're within the confines of the, the boundaries that he puts in. But I got you to see that his protection, it goes beyond just the bunker of where he's at. You see, when, when the Old Testament, they had a very physical idea of God's presence that he was here and he was in the temple. And then once you left the temple, you kind of got a little, the further you went from the temple, the further you went from his presence. And so you got in the, the outskirts, you were in danger of, of being too far from him. You, you weren't protected by him. But his protection goes beyond that. And in verse 8, he says, So that he will guard the paths of justice and protect the ways of his loyal followers. So when you walk out on the roads of life, Realize that His protection goes with you. You see, we come to church and we're protected here. This is God's house. We're safe. This is His armored bunker. We're safe here. But guess what He says? When you walk out of here, when you walk the paths of life, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, when you go wherever you're going to go tomorrow, His protection goes with you. His protection extends to wherever you're at, whatever path you find yourself on. He's protecting you from danger. He's protecting you from temptation that leads you into danger that you don't even know is there. You see, when you walk on the path of righteousness, there is uh, trouble on both sides of the road. That's the reason that the Bible warns you not to turn to the right or to the left. The path is straight and it's narrow. Don't turn off of it. Because on either side is the enemy waiting to capture you. Waiting to lure you in so that you will fall off the path of righteousness. That's what it desires most. And if you read on in the sections of the, the chapter that we skipped over, um, it really outlines two temptations or, or two dangers that are on both sides of the road. One of them is verse 12. It's the person who speaks perverse things, person who speaks a deceitful or a false statement. Right? Go back to where we talked about the Nigerian prince scheme who's going to send you money. So God's going to protect you from those things, protect you from people who are going to say one thing but do another, protect you from, from people who are going to say one thing but really live a different way. That's one protection. The other temptation is in verse 16. It's a forbidden woman who uses seductive and, and flirting or flattering speech to lure you into a place of danger. Right? So his protection goes beyond here to the path that you walk and things that you are, are waiting for you on both sides. Temptations that are there that you may not even know are there until all of a sudden you start hearing this little voice calling out over here and this little voice calling out over here. Do you know how you combat that? You call out louder to the voice of wisdom. You seek louder the voice of wisdom. And you say, God, here I am. God, protect me from this thing. You see, what he's really doing when we put these two together, the one who speaks perverse things and the forbidden woman, these two together represent the very temptations of things that you're going to regret later. 
So the Word of God really protects us from regret or remorse. It protects us from making mistakes that we're going to have to apologize for later, from mistakes that that will burden us down and guilt that will follow us for all the time. And so when we seek the wisdom of God, when we seek the Word of God, He starts us on this path. And He says, listen, if you'll walk this path, if you'll continue walking this path, then you'll live a life without regret. You'll live a life without remorse. You'll live a life without the guilt that comes with all this baggage. Now, I want to share with you how great of a reward would that be? Can I share with you the number of people? I can't share with you, but if I could share with you the number of people that I have to talk with that, man, I wish I would have done this different. I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I hadn't done this. I wish I hadn't went down this path. I wish I hadn't made this decision. You know what? God's Word says if you'd have followed me and stuck on the path I put you on in the first place, you wouldn't have to go back and say, I wish I hadn't. I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I could change. He's going to relieve you from the guilt and the shame and the regret that so many people are carrying around. This is the reward that He promises us to get rid of the shame, the guilt, and the regret that we have, which leads us to the final reward. And this is this life of stability and security with our final destination and where we find rest and safety. Let's look at the last two verses of the chapter, verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21 says, For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous uprooted from it. You see, for the people of Israel, the land that he's talking about represents the promise of God, that he had made this promise for hundreds of generations before, that he would give them this land, and this would be their land. This is where their home would be, and he would protect them there. And as long as they did the first conditionals, if they listened to him, if they yearned for him, if they sought after his wisdom, then they were going to be fine and protected in the land. But the moment they stop doing those things, the enemy's going to come in. The moment they stop yearning, the moment they stop seeking, the moment they stop listening to his wisdom and replace it with their wisdom, is the moment the enemy comes in and pulls them up by the roots and says, no, no, this is ours now. It's the moment that they don't live safely and securely anymore. You see, the land is the promise of safety and security. It's the promise of the presence of God because we have followed the conditions that God gave us to get to this treasure But see, for you and I as Christians on this side of Calvary, the promise of God is not a land of this world. It is an eternity in paradise. You see, where they were seeking a land because it meant stability, where they were seeking a land because it meant fulfillment of God's promise, we get to seek eternity with God forever. We get to to follow the wisdom that points us to Jesus, that points us to the cross, that points us to the ability to live with stability and know what the future holds forever. You see, we don't have to fear being uprooted. We don't have to fear falling off the path. We don't have to fear being cut off from the promise because the wisdom has shown us and we've followed the wisdom all the way through the cross, all the way to eternity. So I want you to see this beautiful outline that God has given you in these passages, that He is a shield. He is a protected place for you. And then when you leave there, when you walk the paths of life, He will protect you all the way. And then when you get to your final destination, you will live there safely and securely. Guess what? He is the final destination. Where He's at is the final destination. It is the land that He has promised you that if you walk that path, you'll end up here. If you follow the wisdom of God, you'll end up here. And so you know that you don't have to worry about being uprooted. You know you don't have to worry about, well, what if I do this and God cuts me off? What if I do that and God cuts me off? What if I don't live good enough? What if I don't do enough good? You don't have to worry about that because the promise is that you followed the path of wisdom through the cross of Christ and now you are safe and secure here. You see, this is the promise. This is the reward from there to the middle 
all the way to the final act of the play. This is the reward that God has promised you. This is the reward of the treasure. This is the treasure that leaves us speechless because when we get there, it will be far better than we could ever imagine, far better than any silver or gold or treasure of this world because we will live safely and securely for all of eternity with Him. You see, the greatest reward of seeking after Him is not riches, it's not wealth, it's not gold and treasure on this earth. It is Him. It is being with Him. Safety with Him. Securely with Him. Now, tomorrow, and for all of eternity together. This is the treasure that we will seek. And this is the treasure that we get if we will seek after it. Let's pray together.